This is CQ State Report, your nonpartisan news source for examining state lawmaking and regulations, as well as the intersection of state and federal policy. Hi, I'm Tony Nafo, editor of CQ Roll Call's State Report, and I'm here today with reporters Stephanie Aiken and Jeremy Dillon to talk about the federal response to a big problem in Michigan, the contaminated water in Flint. Stephanie, you've traveled to Flint. Tell us about how this crisis has affected day-to-day life there. Well, months after the president declared a national state of emergency in Flint, the residents still do not feel safe drinking the water that comes out of their taps. They can't bathe in it. They can't cook with it. They can't use it to make baby formula. They have to collect bottled water every day from distribution centers that have been set up all over the city by volunteer groups, by the National Guard. They go through cases of this every single day. And this is a city that had real serious problems even before the water crisis. Yeah, Flint is actually one of the, if not the poorest city of its size in the country. It's 57 percent black. It has a very high unemployment rate. The unemployment rate just a few years ago was 16 percent. It's gone down to 10 percent, but it's still extremely high. It has a high rate of violent crime. You drive around the city, and all the houses are boarded up. The roofs are caving in. People have abandoned them. They've been gutted. They've they've caught on fire. And and, and people are afraid that that whole process is going to be sped up by by this situation. And in the meantime, nobody knows what the long-term health impacts are going to be. This is a population that um, people were already suffering from health issues that are related to to poverty. 9,000 children under age 6 were drinking um, water that had poisonous levels of lead in it for months and months. 95,000 people, and and they don't know. They don't know what's going to happen to them. Now, uh, the Obama administration has made some money available to the state and the city, but Republican leaders in Congress uh, said back in February that they want to gather facts about the situation before they push through any kind of major federal appropriation that would help with fixing the water system or addressing other needs there. They've been gathering these facts for a while now. Isn't that right, Jeremy? Yes. So it's been about two months since they uh, issued this uh, edict to go out and find out exactly who's accountable for this problem and what the solution should be. Um, That involved three oversight hearings so far, four congressional delegation visits to the actual city, but we still don't have any tangible legislation, passable legislation that will move through the Congress to uh, get the, the problem solved. A lot of that has to do with the price tag surrounded by it. Uh, Republicans have so far balked at uh, some of the proposals that have been put forth. Uh, Representative Dan Kildee, who represents Flint in the Congress, he has a bill that would put uh, $720 million on the table for Flint to uh, improve their water infrastructure as well as for some education and some uh, nutrition programs for the city and their children. That price tag is way too high for Republicans who are already having a hard time passing just a budget resolution to get their budget going for the next fiscal year. With that comes uh, precedent as well. A lot of Republicans have feared uh, setting a precedent with Flint. A lot of the water infrastructure across the nation is aging at the same level that Flint's was. So there's communities across the country that have the kind of same problems that Flint has, uh, most recently in Mississippi, Ohio, uh, Newark, and New Jersey has had uh, just announced that they have problems as well. So if you go in and bail out the city of Flint, what does that say for these other communities as well? 
And a lot of the Republican resistance has kind of centered around whether or not uh, this was there's a federal responsibility here that uh, is this a problem that folks in Michigan brought upon themselves. Uh, and so a lot of their fact finding has been kind of focused on that. And the facts they've uncovered so far show that there is plenty of blame to go around. In fact, uh, Michigan Governor Rick Snyder and EPA Administrator Gina McCarthy each blamed the other's bureaucracy at a House Oversight Committee meeting earlier this month. Inefficient, ineffective, and unaccountable bureaucrats at the EPA allowed this disaster to continue unnecessarily. The state provided our regional office with confusing, incomplete, and absolutely incorrect information. So who's at fault here, Jeremy? If you listen to that clip, you hear McCarthy blaming the state of Michigan. You have Rick Snyder blaming the career bureaucrats within the EPA for not stepping in in time. And so that has kind of fallen over to the partisan side of it as well. At that oversight hearing, you had uh, the Republicans really attacking uh, the EPA and the EPA's role for failing to actually intervene and, and causing this problem to go on for much longer than it should have been going on. And you had Democrats calling for the resignation of Rick Snyder for overseeing a, a state bureaucracy that basically poisoned its uh, residents. Now, uh, Stephanie, you reported that uh, more than 100 people from Flint showed up for the hearing. Some of them had ridden all night in buses. Uh, how did they respond to all the finger pointing? Well, they were very passionate. There were two overflow rooms set up because there wasn't enough space for everybody in the hearing room. There were still lines of people that stretched throughout the building during these hearings. People really wanted to get in and hear what these officials who'd been ignoring them for months had to say. And in the hearing room, they're instructed not to say anything during the proceedings. But in the overflow room, there weren't really any rules like that in place. And people were getting really loud. They were responding to, to everything, especially what Governor Snyder said. They were, they were cheering at um, committee members who were holding him to task. They were yelling, liar, murderers, you killed our babies. And outside in the hallway, there were even some altercations between groups who, um, who thought that they should be given priority to get into the, the room. And it was, not only that, there was a huge media presence there as well. Both sides of the press tables were filled. The Reverend Al Sharpton was in attendance as well. A lot of intense scrutiny going on. So the problem is getting some long overdue attention. Their confidence in all levels of government must have been shaken by a report that was released just this week by a task force appointed by Snyder. It was pretty damning stuff, right, Jeremy? Yes. If you, if you read through the report, it places almost 90% of the blame within the state of Michigan and its de Department of Environmental Quality. Some of the quotes from that I, I pulled for this. MDEQ and its Department of Health failed to adequately and promptly act to protect the public health. MDEQ being the uh, Michigan Department of Environmental Quality? Yes. And then MDEQ, not only did they fail to promptly act to protect the public, they actively uh, tried to intervene in efforts to uh, get the situation under control. According to the report, the report said MDEQ stubbornly worked to discredit and dismiss efforts to bring the lead issue to light. And it finally concluded that MDEQ bears primary responsibility for the situation and ultimate accountability rests with the governor because of uh, the executive branch of the state falling underneath his leadership. It also attacks the uh, EPA for its uh, participation in, in the problem. It says EPA failed to properly exercise its authority 
prior to January 2016, and it concluded that EPA's conduct casts doubt on its willingness to aggressively pursue enforcement in the absence of widespread public outrage. It also addresses this emergency financial manager system, which is another issue that's come up through this whole situation that the uh, the state had appointed um, somebody in, in Flint who'd taken over day-to-day decisions from the elected governing body in Flint, um, meaning that, that the, the people in, in the city, they didn't have any, any local representation that, that had any true true power in, in the city. So that's something that, that the task force says also needs to be looked at. And it's also another reason why the, the accountability um, they're saying really goes back to the governor. But all of this is happening against a, a backdrop of people who are, are still really sick. And that's another thing that the task force mentioned was that the State Department of Health really needs to follow these people as they develop more health issues related to this. So, Jeremy, was there anything in the report about the fact that this might have happened in Flint because it was such a poor, mostly minority community as opposed to a community that has a lot more clout with lawmakers? Absolutely. So the final, the big overarching conclusion that the report came to was that uh, this was an environmental justice issue, that because the community was so poor and because the community had such a large minority makeup that it didn't have the same amount of say, that the lawmakers didn't give them the same amount of uh, credence that they would to another community that had more, uh, whether money power or majority uh, racial power or something along those lines, that they got left behind because Uh of this. Okay. Okay, so now uh, Congress is in uh, recess right now. Uh, When they come back, are they going to do anything? So that's still uh, up in the air. On the Senate side, there is a proposal out there that is only one senator away from getting done. That involves uh, Senator Debbie Stabenow and Senator Gary Peters from Michigan. That would take $220 million from a uh, stalled advance auto loan program and uh, take those funds and send them to Flint uh, to help with the water in- infrastructure improvements as well as some of the nutritional and education programs that would need to go on. That is being holed up right now by uh, Senator Mike Lee of Utah, mainly along cost concerns. Uh, That still remains to be seen whether he will lift those concerns in time. Uh, There's still also the potential that they could invoke cloture on that deal and vote on it to see if they could get the 60 senators to just move forward, uh, and thereby uh, avoiding the Mike Lee hold on that. But on the House side, it still remains to be seen what they're going to do. The House and Energy Commerce Committee said they're going to hold some hearings in April about this issue, as well as water infrastructure issues in general in the nation. So we'll see if anything will come from that. Uh, The House has passed something to uh, enable EPA notification uh, much faster in circumstances like this, so as to prevent EPA from having to sit on their hands like they had to do in this situation. Um, But outside of that, it mainly looks like it would have to go through the appropriations process for anything to really move forward. That was CQ Roll Call's Stephanie Aiken and Jeremy Dillon on the federal response to the water crisis in Flint, Michigan. I'm Tony Nafo. Thanks for listening. Until next time, you can find our state reports on CQ.com, follow us on Facebook and Twitter at CQ Now, and you can download our podcasts on iTunes and SoundCloud. Thank you for listening to CQ State Report. For more information on legislative and regulatory tracking, visit us on our site, cqstatetrack.com.